the last 25 seconds were completely catastrophic for West Virginia on Wednesday. The Mountaineers lost 84-81 to Iowa State, but more importantly, their tournament hopes are officially down the drain. West Virginia had the chance to go get their first Big 12 road win of the year, but just like it has happened all season long, they couldn't convert late. This is the BlueGoldSports.com podcast. What's going on, everyone? Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker, Luke Blaine, back with you on the BlueGoldSports.com podcast. An absolute heartbreaker in Ames, Iowa tonight. West Virginia led for the majority of the game, and then in the second half, Isaiah Brockington absolutely took over for Iowa State, scoring 25 second-half points for a career-high 35 points. West Virginia had the chance. They were up one late in the game with under 30 seconds left, but they just couldn't get it done, turning the ball over, leading to an Iowa State bucket, and then couldn't convert on two straight offensive possessions down the stretch, one with Malik Curry uh, throwing up a layup, and then West Virginia just couldn't get the ball in the basket, and then Taz hoisting up a three at the end. Uh, West Virginia now is 14-14 on the year. NCAA tournament hopes are officially down the drain unless they go win the Big 12 tournament. And it was just a heartbreaking night in a game which West Virginia should have won. So, Aaron, I want to start with you. Thoughts on the game, emotions from the game. Just tell me what you think. Um, this team is incredibly frustrating to watch. And that one was was WVs all the way through, 10-point lead at halftime. And, you know, an Osaboyan three-pointer, just stuff was going the Mountaineers' way. And defense couldn't, couldn't get it done down the stretch, couldn't stop Brockington. Honestly, didn't cover Brockington um, and didn't cover uh, Coucher or anybody else. And then obviously the inbound play just um, solidified how they um, how it slipped through their fingers and um, how their uh, NCAA tournament chances have also slipped through their fingers too. Luke? Yeah, I mean, Brockington was definitely the uh, difference maker here in this one. There's no question about that. And they held him in check last time around. Last time around, he only had 12 shots. He had four makes on 12 shots, and he made 14 shots tonight. So that's just what you're going to see whenever you let a guy like him take over the game. And I didn't – I just want to – full disclosure, I didn't watch the game. I was working on assignments, and then I had club tennis practice. Uh, but, man, that's a heartbreaker. Like, I, I felt it whenever, like, they told me, like – the. I guess the news broke. I don't know, but they were like, "Hey, we blew that lead," and I was like, "You kidding, man?" But yeah, yeah that's a, just a tough one. Certainly a rough one. A couple things I wrote down here: two fifty-one to play. Mountaineers called a timeout up two, and out of the timeout, they seemed to kind of take control right away. Um, Malik found Demond for a for an alley oop slam dunk to put the Mountaineers up four, but then Kausher comes down, hits a three pointer. But then Curry comes down, makes two free throws, but then Kausher right on the other end, another three-pointer. Just kind of that back and forth, I think. Kind of, you just can't get anything going there. You get you get the momentum on one end, and on, then on the other end, it's kind of a like just a gut punch where, okay, you just get a bucket, but then, bam, Iowa State ties things right back up. And then Malik down the stretch, um, he made a layup to put West Virginia up two, and then – Iowa State missed, and West Virginia had a chance to go up three or four, depending on what they do, and they just couldn't convert anything there. Again, it was a it was a uh, Curry mid-range, a little little just off to the right, I believe. Then Brockington comes down, a couple offensive rebounds later, goes to the free throw line, 
splits them there, one or two. And then, as we all know, the last 25 seconds happen. For me, this is kind of West Virginia season in a nutshell. You have things that go your way. You have your team that looks good at times. You have players play well. Guys who shouldn't be scoring the basketball score extremely well. Gabe had a career high tonight. He had 19 points, was West Virginia's leading scorer. Sherman had 15. Curry gave you 19. Curry made two three-pointers. He's made three all year coming into tonight. He made two tonight. Gabe made a three-pointer from that. You had everything going your way, but then they just unraveled late, completely collapsed. And I think it's a metaphor for this whole 2021-2022 season is that West Virginia has been on the doorstep of so many close games and they just couldn't get it done. And yet again, when you think they have a chance, if they win this game, they could possibly go on a run down the stretch of the season. Who knows? But there's their door. The door is shut on their season unless they go make some magic in Kansas city. Yeah, you're right. It's a, a perfect metaphor for the season in general. Anytime the Mountaineers, you know, it's hard to get momentum going or, you know, at this point to do right things. And when WVU does right things, they, uh, can't hold on to a lead, can't keep a lead, can't keep momentum, can't play a, uh, a full game, can't play two halves. And, um, you know, tonight really was a perfect metaphor. Speaking on uh, down the stretch the last couple of minutes, WV goes up four. And then, I mean, Kausher's wide open for a three, makes it, one-point game. WV goes down, gets two more points, and then Kausher's wide open again. It's not – you said gut punch, and I, it, it should be a gut punch. But I think it's more of a gut punch if they go out there and, and you know, make them battle and then Iowa State hits a big three, hits another big three. And these guys are wide open. And I don't – it was up four, up three. You know, you get you get a stop there and you're in a really good position. And they, you know, they kind of folded both times, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, the defense just hasn't been there, like, as of late, ever since Big 12 play started. It's just been a pretty consistent problem, and I can't speak to the layups tonight, but I know that taking the easy buckets hasn't been this team's specialty either. But you got to make the easy shots, and you got to make the other team take hard shots, especially West Virginia in that situation. Was six, six of six on layups. They were perfect on layups. Ooh. They were perfect on dunks. Like they did everything they could have done right. They found guys inside. They got inside presence going. They got Demon making layups. They had they had everything that could possibly go right, go right. Gabe was driving to the hoop, making his free throws. But then again, the defense just collapsed. They allowed Iowa State to shoot an absurd clip of 63% in the second half, 55% on the game. Just can't win like that. Brockington himself went 14 for 22, made 10 shots in the second half. You're just not going to win like that. And outside of Brockington and Kalsher in the second half, they got 13 points. So when you allow a team to score 53 points in a half, it's hard to win that way. Yeah, I mean, everybody was pretty much open. Uh, Brockington played well, and there was a couple instances. There was one down the stretch where he hit that kind of fade away from the elbow uh, from the uh, free throw line or something like that. That was a nice shot, but how many of his looks down the stretch were, were right there? He had even got to the point where it was like probably last, I don't know, two or three minutes of the game. He had probably had the last, I don't know, eight or ten points, and then he was wide open for a three. Uh, he ended up missing that shot, but I was just like, I was looking over at, you know, the people with me. I was like, you know, you can't, you can't let somebody be that wide open for three when he's been killing you all night. He had already had 30, 32 points at that point. 
guys is, is unfathomable how how he was wide open um, the whole entire second half. Obviously, he wasn't missing 14 of 22, and um, it was not hard for him to get those 22 shots. The thing the thing that kills me for Brockington is how I felt like there was no change in a defensive game plan. Huggins said after the game that they tried to go from man to match up back to man, but Iowa State just kept finding the right matchup with Brockington. But my thing is, is obviously I think it's a different story if you have Kedrian Johnson in there who can kind of harass Brockington to an extent and kind of have that ball pressure that you just don't have. And Malik can kind of give you that, but he's just so undersized. It's hard for him to compete like that. But for me, when you don't have that ball pressure, you've got to either face guard, double the ball every time and make someone else beat you. But to me, it seemed like it was a one-on-one game between Brockington and whoever his man was, and Brockington was winning 80% of the time. Yeah, I mean, simple basketball. I mean, I don't know, boxing one or something like that. you got to get down the stretch. I mean, face guard, double team, boxing one, something. Every time he touched the ball, they should have drawn a second man to him. But I saw that rarely in the second. The, the one-on-one with which was just call it, call it how it is. The one-on-one ISO with Sean McNeil does Brockington scoring every time. Brockington's gonna get to the baseline if he needs to get to the baseline. Sean gives up baseline if he needs to get to the elbow. He'll get to the elbow. Sean will give up the elbow, and those mat, that matchup was just not good enough. I know it wasn't all Sean I, uh, down a stretch. Taz was on him a couple times. Malik maybe once or twice, but, you know, you got to do something better than that. And their face guarding was not good. Um, and if he needed to get open, whatever spot on the floor he wanted to, he uh, he got open. I would like to ask, what has happened to Sean McNeil? Like, where did he go? You know, I, I'm looking at his he, – he's 0 for 3 from three-pointer – and he just doesn't look as confident as he did the first half of the season. Uh, that's something I've he, – he's not as quick to pull the trigger. He'll pump fake and then wait for a guy to get on him before he takes a shot. And it's just – I don't know. This whole I – th- and I think that's a problem with the whole team. I think that there's a big – I don't want to say attitude, but confidence problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah for Sean, definitely. I know he talked about it, how – everything's kind of changed when he's gotten into conference play because teams are changing how they guard him and how they guard Taz. And I know Sean has said that he has tried to kind of block out the noise and just shoot, shoot, shoot and be a team player. But you've seen him hesitate more than I think you've ever seen him hesitate before in his last three years. And you've seen him pass up looks that he's stepped into and knocked down hundreds of times that he's just passing up and, passing the ball and then or he'll hold the ball and then shoot it when there's a man on him and I think some of that is he's missed a lot of shots and he's missed more shots than he's used to but I also think some of that is he's just he doesn't want to be put in a situation where it all comes down to him because let's be honest if Sean McNeil were to go out there in the second half tonight and shoot six open shots and miss all six of them there are people from this fan base from people Mm -hmm. who follow this team that will be out for Sean McNeil's head and that toxicity I think kind of spreads to the players and that there's a creep in their mind where they say I don't want to miss too many shots or I don't want to play too horribly because I don't want it to be all on me when in reality it shouldn't be on them and they should be able to just go out there freely and play yeah exactly 
I, I would be, I mean, like, I don't think, I mean, if I were in that position, I would be terrified too. And I had, you know, people on social media just raking me over the coals for my performance. And I think that's just a genuine problem. Not just, of course, with West Virginia, but like a lot of college sports fan bases in general. Yeah, it is. Um, if we're talking about Sean McNeil, I'd say WB fans have seen him and his game for a while now, and everybody knows he's struggling, but he's a pure shooter. One of the best shooters, just pure shooters. While he's streaky, he's still one of the best shooters since, you know, Alex Ruoff, Casey Mitchell, and all that. Um, so I think WB fans are going to be content with him taking shots, even if he's struggling, as long as they're in rhythm. Um, so, I, you know, the social media thing, whatever. But um, I hope people aren't out for his head or anything like that. But he's struggling. Minus 15 before coming into today. Um, and he's a fifth-year senior, is he not? Fourth year? Fifth year he, has one, he has his COVID year left. So yeah, he has so, his one, one year left. I mean – but he's been with West Virginia for this is his third year in the program now. Yeah, he's the he's the most tenured guy along with Taz and Gabe. Unfortunately, the problems go past him just hesitating when he's shooting. I mean, he's one of the, the probably the bottom defenders on the team, um, and he's not he's not giving you much in the assist rebound category. I know he's not a big rebounder as it is, but you know minus fifteen is not getting it done. And, um, you know, he's going to have to start playing better. It might be a little bit too, little too, too late. But, you know, you can never count that guy out. So, you know, maybe he'll get it together by the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, I don't, I don't really want to look too far ahead um, as for Kansas City in the Big 12 tournament. West Virginia still has three regular season games left. Obviously, if you just think about tournament chances, um, they've got to win them all. If you can get to 17 before Kansas City, you're probably going to be in the first game. I haven't looked at the standings yet, but they're in last right now, and I'm sure at some point it's going to be a mathematical, like you're going to be in that 8-9 game. Obviously, Oklahoma State is not in the tournament, so there's not two first-round games. Otherwise, West Virginia would almost be a lock already for one of those games. So if you're doing some wishful thinking here, West Virginia wins the last three, wins two in Kansas City. That gets you to 19, might get you in, who knows, but – you're right, Aaron. He's he's underperformed, I think, especially in the last month during this this stretch of losing. And I think that's been one of the reasons is that coming into this year, you you were supposed to count on him and Taz to carry this team offensively. And it's been more of the what can Taz do rather than what can Taz and Sean do. And I think that hurt West Virginia. One more thing I want to talk about um, for tonight is West Virginia's offense. I think we saw an offense that was clicking. I think we saw an offense that was doing all of the right things. And for a team that recently has just struggled, shot 25% in the second half against Texas Tech, struggled against Kansas on Saturday, uh, struggled at times against uh, TCU. For a team that struggled to score points for long stretches of time, you really didn't see that tonight. I, I was impressed by that because you saw – Everyone in your lineup almost produced besides Polycap and Seth, who didn't score. Everyone else scored in your lineup. And you got 19 from Gabe, as we said, 19 from Curry. Those are 19 that is clutch from both of them. And so I just want to get your guys' thoughts on how you thought the offense performed as a whole tonight. Yeah, I mean, it was great to see that 
the offense didn't really get into ruts and, you know, guys like Curry, Taz and, and Otis Boyne were stepping up. But um, while that's good to see and maybe uncommon for this team, this team is going to find a way to lose either way. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, the finding a way to lose thing is pretty definition, I think. But, you know, in a game where one, two, three, four of our players were in double digits, two of two guys coming off the bench were at 19. I mean, I think that's a solid night for this offense. Usually it's just play off of Taz and see what happens. But it doesn't really look like that was the case tonight. You know, Gabe, Gabe and uh, Curry both had really good nights based on what we've seen from them before. It's just, it's disappointing to see this is the most points they've scored this whole year, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like since 2022, this is the most they've scored. And it's just disappointing to see this game slip away like that. Yeah. Going back to what you said, Luke, um, I also think some of it has to do with Iowa State taking care of the basketball. Um, nine turnovers in the first half, no turnovers at all in the second half for Iowa State. If you look at West Virginia in the first half, they, they also had nine turnovers. But in the second half, they had five turnovers. So 14 turnovers, nine turnovers. If you win the turnover battle, you're likely to win the game. But 81 points should win you a Big 12 game in a Big 12 that's not known for scoring. And when you're not playing the Kansases and the Baylors of the world, 81 points should win you a Big 12 game. Yep, on paper it should. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, the um, this this WVU team is just not going to do those things right um, as far as taking care of the basketball in the clutch, forcing turnovers down the stretch when they need to. I mean, zero turnovers in the second half, that's pretty unheard of. Um, obviously do credit to to Iowa State, but still, you know, the opponents are going to do what they need to do. They're going to take care of the ball. They're going to make the shots. They're going to they're going to apply pressure when they need to. And this WVU team is um, when they're challenged with something like that, they're they're probably going to fail. And when it came down to it with what under 30 seconds to go, just take care of the basketball draw, do the, You know, they they thought they had two timeouts. And they had one, like, that's unacceptable. Um, they throw it into the corner to Sean McNeil right into a trap. That's, that was awful. Um, you, you can't do that. That was the first rule of those inbound pa passes on a press. They, yeah, they did the two the things you shouldn't do. Throw it under the basket and throw it to the corner. And they did both of them. And, and to be quite frank with you, WVU should have turned over, turned the ball over right there. I don't think WVU should have got the timeout there. I thought it should have, should have just been a five-second close guard, um, but they gave WVU the timeout, and then they still turned it over. So they obviously didn't deserve it at that point. Can't blame anybody else, but but then for not running that play right. Apparently, Hugs came out and said he drew the play up twice, and they didn't run it. You know, I can't can't vouch for that, but yeah, you know, they did not run it right, and you can't throw it to the corner. Yeah, for me the ending two things stick out to me one I think there were multiple instances when West Virginia was trying to cut to the baseline that they were held um obviously unless it's obvious you're probably not going to get a foul call but in a game like this where so many fouls were called on very questionable things not just for West Virginia but for Iowa State on both ends of the floor um I think you have to make a call there, especially if it seemed like Sean McNeil was held, especially on the first one. 
I also think they should have thrown the ball to Malik on the first one. It seemed like he kind of went to the left, came back down toward the baseline, and Taz could have gotten it to him. I also don't like Taz throwing the ball in. He's not your tallest guy. I'd rather him being the one that gets the ball to shoot free throws or dribble the ball. I think JB should have been the one throwing the ball in there. Find Sean, find Taz, find Malik, make them go make free throws, handle it at the line. But obviously hindsight is 20-20. Huggins did have harsh words to say. He said, I threw it, I drew it up for them twice. He kind of said, if you look at it, guys didn't cut correctly. He had a play that would have worked, but, he said they had five guys with inside inside the free throw line, and it just didn't work how he wanted to. I'm not sure if he was talking about that play or the play with Malik at the end. He kind of those two thoughts kind of combined together there. But either way, both sequences there with West Virginia inbounding the ball and then with the chance to take the lead there when they were down one just didn't end well. And that's been that's been this this season in a nutshell is that you have chances to get wins, you have chances to do things that most teams in the past would have done, and they just couldn't get it done tonight. Yeah, down the stretch, they could not get it done, done down the stretch, and just that inbound play. You know, I was watching it, and I just started to utter the phrase unbelievable because, you know, that's pretty typical in a moment like that. But I, I, I stopped myself, and I said, you know, this is incredibly believable with – this team and just, you know, there haven't been many situations where WVU was in a position to win late and they just need to lock it up. You know, you've seen it a lot because WVU's had a lot of successful teams, a lot of those stressful moments. But with this team, they haven't had a whole lot of games go down the stretch where they're trying to protect the lead, like right in the, in the closing seconds. And um, so I thought it was pretty, pretty believable at that point that they'd throw the ball away. I would like to add that Their 81 points is the most they have scored since Thursday, November 18th, 2021 against uh, Elon, where they had 87. And (laughs) I feel like there against Elon, he'll drop 40. Yeah. Who dropped 40? Aaron Wood. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was probably the easiest game WB's had all season, unfortunately. Yeah, it's 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 hard. I mean, I get it. Like, you're in the hardest league in the country. But I also get that there's an expectation level. And I think there's going to there's there's going to be questions that have to be answered this offseason. Obviously, we don't we're not going to get into all those right now. We have a whole year until basketball season again almost, but they failed at the transfer portal. We've talked about that before. I think there needs to be a hard look at what needs to be done roster-wise, roster construction-wise. I think you need to go get a true point guard and a true point guard that can drive the ball and finish. Malik gives you that, but it's just his size is so he's just he's not he's not in Big 12 size. Um and when you're playing guards that are 6364 and can do what Malik can and Malik 61 if that, I'm not sure what they officially give them but you need size and you need size at the guard position and that's just not what West Virginia has yeah and to your point not just the portal I don't know I think there needs to be something maybe somebody brought in maybe hugs can bring somebody in next offseason um just looking at numbers so so many teams have have uh young coaches um 
or just analytical people that that look at shot selection they break down that stuff plus minus all that stuff um it seems like there's so many questionable moves of like why is this guy in he's minus a million over the last 10 games why is this guy in he's minus a ton over the last five games um and then guys that are taking shots you know there's been games where Sean's taken three threes in a game. I know he's struggling, but that's that can't happen. Kansas State game, Cottrell shot 14 shots while everybody else shot like a combined, I don't know, 13 shots minus Taz. Just I think Hugs or somebody should bring in somebody to, I don't know, wake him up, get a new voice in there. Um, I know he's loyal to his assistant coaches and not saying anybody should be fired or anything, but maybe just bring in somebody else if he can. To, to look at the numbers aspect of it. And then also he's got to wipe the slate clean and try again in the transfer portal because it was a big fail this year. Luke? I got nothing else on that one. <laughs> Y'all covered it pretty well. All good, all good. One thing, one more thing for me here um, before we wrap up this this pod is I just think after last year, this team isn't that different from last year's team, except without Deuce and Derek. I mean, you kind of see how big of pieces they were, in my opinion, and you can disagree with this if you want, Aaron. That look on your face seems like you're a little appalled over there. Uh, but <laughs> Deuce and Derek kind of carried this team in a sense that if you want to look at role players, JB was here, yes. Um I'd say Malik, the mix of uh, Kobe and Malik is equal to Jordan. I'd say Emmett. Emmett was kind of a big loss, but you still have you have guys that can step up and shoot the ball. Um, but losing Deuce and losing a true point guard as well as losing an inside guy, I think that was big. You lost two pros is what Huggins has said. And it it seemed like the loss of Derek was bigger early in the earlier in the year when West Virginia would just get bullied inside. But on a night like tonight, when you're on the road and you need someone to take over the game, West Virginia had no one that could take over the game. And that's supposed to be Taz Sherman, but Taz Sherman's not a point guard. And he's had to be thrust into roles like that. And without a true point guard, um you're 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 kind of put at a disadvantage, especially in this league. Yeah, well, I mean, you're right with that point on the point guard. And you can't replace Deuce. You just can't do it. And, you know, I don't think Hugs thought Derek would be gone. So he tried to piece together, you know, Kerrigan and Polycap. But even those two can't replace Culver. So you got a good point. I just – this year's team compared to last year, they don't have that it factor. Their, um, last year's team was tough. and Like, they were so talented last year, but they were still tough and, and scrappy at times. Um, to where and then like Taz would step up when so Taz has got to carry this team on his shoulder and he has that at that it factor you know he's he's always given it a hundred percent and then you see that with Gabe but JB had a really good season last year after Oscar left but without Deuce facilitating he's not getting open looks I don't he's not playing where how he needs to play Sean Sean does not have it this year and just the the other guys Malik's gave gave the Mountaineers a good season, sure, but like I don't know, I just the it factor is not there, and this team is definitely not as tough as last year's team mentally or um, you know emotionally out there. But you're you you do make a good point when you take guys away like Deuce and Derek, how can you replace that? For for me, 
what's been striking in conference play is the inconsistency is that you have guys that have proven they are capable, but it's just how often can they produce that level that they are capable to be playing at. And you've seen Malik go for 20. You've seen Sean go for 20. You've seen Taz go for 30. You've seen JB go for 20 and eight, you know, like you've seen these guys, reach their potential it's just a matter of they reach their potential once every six games instead of them all playing well not fully to their potential but to their potential as a team you've not I don't think we've seen the best of this West Virginia team yet and I don't know why that is but am I hoping that they figure it out before March 13th comes and it's selection Sunday and they're sitting their butts at home, not going anywhere. Yes. But do I think that will happen? No. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Um, I think you hit it pretty good there. I mean, I don't really know what else to say this team. Like you said, I mean, guys, we've seen, we've seen JB and, and, and those guys hit their, hit their potential, but it's one once every six games. And in those one game, in that one game where JB's going off, somebody else or another two or three players are struggling. They can't put it together. Um, you know, we keep trying to dig deep and see it's like, well, if this would happen, then we, you know, they'd be good. I don't know. I think this team has, has hit their cap. Um, I think this team, you've said it a million times, this team is what it is. And this team is 14 and 14. Um, I think they'll win one more game. Um, and I think this is the cap of this team. Unfortunately, Luke, you got anything? Yeah, and I mean it's it's just heartbreaking to see after such a hot start to the season, um, twelve and one, right? Am I right in saying thirteen that? and two and one, is what they were at? Thirteen and two at one oh point. yeah, yeah. And that's just that's tough. We were getting ready for you know tournament stuff, and you know it just kind of all fell apart there, and. You know, the Big 12 is a tough conference and, you know, you got to really fight to keep afloat in there. And, you know, this team just doesn't have it this year. Yeah, my, my favorite thing is that this team was two and one in conference play after they hosted Oklahoma State and Kansas State, um, other order Kansas State than Oklahoma State. And they were two and one in conference play. They're now three and 12 in conference play. So it's it's hard. Um we know it's hard. The players know it's hard. Fans certainly do know it's hard. Um, but, hey, they're going to keep plugging along. They're going to keep playing hard. And that's what I did appreciate, though. This team did play hard tonight. They left everything they had on the floor. Although, yes, there were some dumb decisions. And, yes, they were frustrating to watch in those last minute or two. Um, they left everything they had on the floor. And they could have easily, as soon as Iowa State got back in that game, just folded. But they kept fighting. They kept clawing back. They kept, they kept playing hard. And I think at the end of the day, even if they don't win, you have to applaud the effort because if there's no effort there, then it's even more embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they give it their heart. I guess you know. Uh, you can't what, what's the what's the look for it you uh, gotta explain the look Aaron I mean for, for people who are listening Aaron's given a very sick like just just completely done you just seem done and obviously yeah I know it's February 23rd and they just lost again but 
What like what what are you feeling? It's just it's it's so hard to watch this team. But you're right. I mean, I can't speak on their effort. They I'm sure they put countless hours in and all that. They play hard, they play for the state. Um, you know, it's just it's frustrating to watch. Um it's just I don't know, this team is just so different and separated from other Mountaineer teams over the last decade. And I just I don't know, I, I can't help but group them with the Terry Henderson teams and Aaron Harris teams of the world that had the potential to, to go to the tournament, win a couple games and that, you know, sitting in the NIT and you know, some you know, some problems that maybe shouldn't have occurred. Maybe I don't know. Um if it's West just, Virginia it, were to get offered an NIT bid tomorrow, say today was Selection Sunday, Aaron, obviously they wouldn't be in the field. If they were get to all get, if they were to be offered an NIT bid tomorrow, would you want them to take it? Yes or no, and why? Um, yeah, the NIT, the NIT is a good tournament. I've thought about this through just the way the season has gone, just keep going downhill and downhill. I think if WVU makes the NIT, they'll probably match up with Syracuse, Buddy Bayhound, and lose again. That's just, just that's, that's your thought. That's your thought out of all this is that they're going to face Syracuse and lose. Yeah, because, well, I know this has nothing to do with WVU, but it's just, I can't believe Syracuse is that bad with the same team they had last year, that BWU, basically the yeah, same it guy. Is, yeah. And their record is like NIT-level record. So if WVU were to draw somebody like them, they would not be able to stop shooters like that. But, yeah, the NIT, you know <clears> – <throat> Some people get mad at it, but it, you know, it's been around forever. It's a pre prestigious tournament. WV won the NIT back in what, 07? And that was kind of a big deal. So yeah, I mean, you can't you can't look down on the NIT, especially with a team that's, you know, lost what, 13 out of 14 or 12 out of 13. You know, there's nothing to be ashamed about with the um, NIT at this point. Luke, would you take an NIT bid? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I want these guys to keep playing, you know, and I think that's the hard part about the end of the season is you you want us to keep seeing the guys play. You want to keep seeing them put it all out on the floor. You want you want to see what they've worked for pay off. And you know, and if they have the opportunity to have a chance for that in the NIT, at least, I mean, you know, it's not March Madness, but you know, you have a chance to keep playing and make something out of the season. So yeah, I'd absolutely take NIT. And if you remember a couple of years ago with the you know, freshman year of Jordan McCabe, Derek Culver, and Emmett Matthews, that team had a losing record, but they got hot down the stretch. Hugs got them in. They couldn't even make the NIT, but Hugs got them in the, what, CIT or CBI or something like that? CBI, yep, CBI. Yes, yeah. I guess it's a little different considering he had given the range to the freshmen so late in the season. They started playing good. I think he just wanted to get those young guys' experience. But, yeah, you know, for a team that was 13-2, and two, you know, they have talent. They've got, you know, Cash Sherman and Gabe is one of these guys that have put, you know, five, six years into college basketball. So, yeah, I think they would want to play um, postseason basketball, even if it's not March Madness. One thing I will say is you're now – I'm not going to even put into words that West Virginia will win the Big 12 tournament because I think it's under a 1% chance. But – you're now at the point where in the era of the transfer portal, right, um, guys are inclined to leave if they don't play. If I'm Bob Huggins, on Saturday, James Oconquo, Jamel King, Seth Wilson, and Kobe Johnson are getting some serious minutes because 
yes, you're going to play your Taz's, your Sean's, your Gabe's, your JB's, but outside of those guys, who's given you enough to prove that they should get some quality minutes? Like, Pauly, all right, he plays hard, but he's super inconsistent. Malik, he can be inconsistent and a liability on defense. Like, in an era of the transfer portal where so, where so many guys go and just leave if they don't play, why not go play those guys, get them some run, get them some experience, see what you're dealing with next year, and if they're not what you think they can be, put them in the transfer portal. Say, we don't have a place for you. You're not You're not going to play here in our program. It's best for you if you leave, and I think that helps the player, and I think it helps them as a team. But by just keeping these guys on the bench when you're going to burn, when they're not going to get it to use a red shirt anyway, it just blows my mind when your season, when nothing's going to change, when you're not going to make the tournament by winning these last three games, why not you go, why you won't go put these guys in and get some serious play? Yeah, it's something to think about. Unfortunately, I can see how it's going to go. The starting lineup will be Isaiah Cottrell, Kedrian Johnson, and so on. So I don't think that'll happen, but I do like your point. I mean, you got to play these guys. The transfer portal has totally changed the way of college basketball, and and Hugs is, is pretty old-fashioned, and hopefully he's willing to adapt to a degree. Um, but, you know, I don't know if he's going to do that. As far as transfers go, yeah, I think some people are going to leave the program. Who, who it is, I don't I don't know. I but, think uh, I think if I were have if I had to guess today, Sean McNeil is not in a West Virginia uniform no. come November of 2022. No, no, he had a great season last year and he put his name in the NBA draft. That wasn't going to happen, but you know, tested the waters. And then this year has been, a, you know, very bad outside of three or four games. So no, I don't see him back in a West Virginia uniform next year. Um, and yeah, I. Hopefully, just like if you were to do that, it wouldn't be um, waving the white flag if you throw out a conclu or something like that. But instead, you know, instead it'd be like, you know, we need these guys. But also, who knows? Like, what if those four completely change the identity? Like, what if those four get hot and and then you win? You beat Texas, you beat Oklahoma, you beat TCU, and you're heading to Kansas City with all this momentum, and you're going to face teams that have not seen these four guys play all year. Like, What's the point in not trying it? That's the only thing I have. Like, it's not like it's a dumb reason to not try it because you have the transfer portal and what happens if these guys play, like they actually give you some good quality minutes. I, I, at this point, you've already lost enough. It's not like you can lose any more and you're going to lose opportunity. Like you are where you are, no matter what, why not give these guys a shot? Yeah, you're right. If you're looking at, I don't know, from like somebody like Hugs' perspective, they're just, they're very raw um, and, and they need experience. That's the thing, but they're so raw. And if you put them out against a team like Texas, that's a team with Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, they have a lot of experience. And it, that's it a might, team with experience might. and length and size and. Yeah. Like, and if you have these, these, raw, these raw prospects that are kind of project players, let's just call it how it is, it might get ugly. That's the unfortunate part about it. Yeah. And I think that's what – I think that's going to be a storyline, though. Like, you either play them and you see what happens and you get blown out by 30, or you play them, you see what happens, and you win a couple ball games down the stretch. And it's not like losing by 30 is going to be anything new because you've already lost 12 out of your last 13 or 13 out of your last 14, whatever it is at this point. So I think there's a time and place to try it, and I think that time and place is Saturday against – 
Texas. Luke, you got anything else? Nope. <laughs> I, I like that idea. That that's not. I didn't know really much about our younger roster, but I think that would be really interesting, and I think it's a good time to try it right now. Obviously, with the way things are going, you know, there's nothing to lose. Put in some guys who have been sitting and watching for the whole season, but you know, take a shot on them, see what they got. Aaron, you got anything else on this lovely Wednesday evening? No. All right. Well, that'll do it for us. If you're if you made it this far, we really do appreciate you losing. Mountaineers lose a heartbreaker. Um, season's just about down the drain unless they work some magic and win five, six games here or make a crazy run in Kansas City. So that'll do it. Aaron Parker, uh, Luke Blaine, and Wesley Shoemaker. Thank you for listening. This is the BlueGoldSports.com podcast.